I don't know why I still get amazed by uh, God lining stuff up, but I do. Um, even if something as simple as this morning, I don't know if you guys can connect the dots, but I'm uh, I'm gonna connect a couple of them for you. You know, we watched those those kids just now present that that skit, and and I believe what they probably presented is really what happened in December in my Bible study. Now, again, I don't care which way you you go. I don't think it changes your faith. I don't think it changes your belief or anything like that. But I do think December would be more of the month of conception, which is the bigger miracle to me than the mer- ber- uh, month of birth. But you know, as we watch those those two kids play that out, we saw them begin to argue, even in something as simple as that. We saw them quickly begin to point the finger at one another on who was more dirty than the other and, and they called each other on their sins and and, and that approach and, and we snickered and we laughed and I think in all honesty you and I can probably relate with that because we may participate in doing it that same way sometime when we want to deflect the attention to ourselves and the problems that we got going on onto somebody else and I say that to say this and here's why I'm amazed by it because they did that completely unplanned and completely unknowing that we would be in, in Samuel 24 today because I didn't know we'd be in Samuel 24 today. I thought for sure we were going to pause in our, in our series, but God never let us leave Samuel. So, you know, if you're here and you're, and you're wondering, man, was this, was this really just for me? Yes, it was because, uh, God has lined up every verse on the exact days that, that they are, uh, by his command and, and none of ours. So we see those kids illustrate that. And then what we have illustrated in our, in our lesson today from scripture, is the same thing. We've got two guys that are at odds with one another. And, and I think uh, what Reese or Reese, I think, said the, the line of look at us. We're sitting here arguing and bickering back and forth with one another. When the Messiah will be here, I think he said nine months, 40 weeks. You know, so a- ask yourselves this, because I know this time of the year is crazy. I know this time of the year gets stressful and, and all that stuff going on. Are we exhibiting what Christ came to promote us to exhibit? Or are we still following the fleshly desires of wanting to get evil and wanting to get payback and, and wanting to do this and wanting to do that and, and everything in between? And, and that's where we're at this morning. You know, I had jotted down the very first time I read chapter 24. Are you ever just sick and tired of the situation you're in and you want it to end faster? Can, can, I, can anybody relate with that? You know, you just, you're tired of whatever situation you're in. I don't even know what situation it is. You know, but you're sick and tired of whatever situation you're in and you just had it. You're like, man, I want it to be done with, you know, quicker. I'm going to be honest. I'm so sick of the election stuff already. I'm ready for the election to be over. I'm just not that kind of guy. Don't get into that kind of stuff and and all that. So here we are a year away from from, over a year away from even electing. And and I'm just done with it already. So I want it to be done. But here's something I learned with that thought. When you want something to be done faster. It doesn't matter. You can want all you want to want. It's not going to get done any quicker than it's going to get done. Uh, and I say that to say this. If you've been with us through this series, I think that's where David's at, man. David was a shepherd. He's the youngest of his, of his seven brothers. He's called to be king. And here he is 20-something years later, still not in the palace. Not only is he not in the palace, he's now not even at home. He's not with his wife. He does finally get him a couple of guy friends, and I can't imagine how much a cave must stink when you got 600 soldier type dudes hanging out in a cave all together every single day, uh, while you're hiding from a guy who wants to kill you. But I think David's probably got that idea of, you know what? I'm just sick of this time period. And I'm about ready for it to be over. 
But I love that even though he may have that thought, and we don't know if he does, but I, I think he could relate with us. He's a guy, you know, just, just like we are. He never rushes God. He never does anything to speed up God's process. He never does anything at this stage of his life. Now we know he's going to make mistakes and he already does make some. He even confesses of one today that he considers a mistake, you know, but he never wavers from letting God's timing play out however it's going to play out. So that's what I want us to look at. Look, look at this. And this is the first of three chapters, by the way, where David is actually going to spare the life of an evil man. So I, I wrote down this. Today's passage, the table gets turned. You know, if, you, if you've been with us, Saul's been trying to kill David for, for weeks now, you know, years really in, in the life of David. And now the tables get turned. Now David has an opportunity to kill Saul. And it's right there at his fingertips, literally. But how does he respond? He doesn't. So my question is, how would we respond if somebody who'd been trying to kill us, somebody who had been giving us evil, would we repay evil if the opportunity presented itself? Would we have taken care of business right there and, and be done with it? Or will we actually, if some of you are honest and admitting, yes, I would. I'd chop that cat straight in the throat and it'd been over. Uh, you know, I, I, I like what David had the opportunity to also do. Notice that not only does he not do it, but he even tells his men not to do it. Because it'd be pretty easy to say, I'm not going to do it, but if one of you guys want to kill him to speed this process up, that would be kind of cool. Uh, but he doesn't. He tells his men not, not to do this as well. Um, so so here, here's where we're at. We're at the difference of acting natural versus acting supernatural. Acting in the flesh versus acting in the spirit. Do, do we repay evil for evil or do we repay good for evil? And I, I've said this before, and I think some of the Sunday school classes say this. The best commentary for Scripture is more Scripture. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to mark Samuel 24, because that's where it will be. But I also want you to flip. So for all those that may think the Old Testament's outdated, then flip to Romans 12, because I fully believe that Romans 12 is the commentary of 1 Samuel chapter 24. I even wonder in, in reading the two, as I thought about them, I wonder if Paul even thought back to this story about David when he wrote Romans chapter 12. Now, some of you have never read Romans 12, and that's scary, because I'm going to tell you when you open it up, it's the, it's the livelihood of a Christian. It's how a Christian should act. It's how a Christian should talk. It's, it's what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And, and some of you, when you read it, you're going to be like, holy cow, what did I sign up for? Uh, some of you are going to be like, I know now why I haven't signed up. And uh, some of you will be reminded of what you signed up for. So uh, wherever you're at, that's what I want us to do. I want us to look at both of these chapters and see some lessons that God paints for us through this this scene with David. So our first scene, David spares Saul. And lesson number one with that, this is verses one through four. I'm going to read one and two real quick. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Now, we just don't like hearing that, right? I mean, one of the very first words our kids learn is what? No. Or mine. And mine would probably be word number three or four. I'm glad that none of you were crazy enough to think it was mom or dad. Notice nobody, everybody wants it to be mom or dad, but nobody ever, nobody, nobody no, just admitted that. Everybody said the first one was no, no. However they say, nah, yeah, no, shake head, get mad, whatever it is. No, because they want to rebel because they want it to be mine. Same thing as we get older. You know, if somebody gets us, we want to get even. There we go. You know, we, we always want to do that. But scripture tells us we're supposed to act the exact opposite. Why? Because the ways that we do things as believers should seem really weird to people outside the church. You know, outside the church, someone punch you, you punch them back. You know, now I do love scripture only tells you to turn one cheek. So after two punches, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, 
But you still got two more on your backside. You turn. Oh, uh, you know, as you go through this thing, what we see is the exact opposite in Scripture. We're not to punch anybody back. We're to actually not repay evil for evil. So last week we ended with Saul breaking off his pursuit of David to run down these Philistines because they were randomly, by God's sentence, attacking the main city of Saul's people. So he had to leave. That gave David and his men time to flee and get to the desert of Engedi. And, and while they get there, they hide in these cliffs and these caves. The, the environment all around, if you check it out, is full of springs. So this would be good shelter. This would be good protection. This would even have water. I mean, everything great that they needed, they have provided in these caves. Unfortunately, Saul learns the exact area David's in, the desert of Engedi. So, so he goes there. He takes 3,000 of his most chosen men, the best of the best. So he's got, you know, his green berets and he's got his Navy SEALs and, and he's got his special forces and he's got the Airborne Army Rangers. And I mean, he's just got the best of the best ready to do, go take care of business and find David. Well, I'm laughing because David's got 600 wannabe soldiers hanging out in a cave that all came there because they were grief stricken, upset and, and, and unhappy with the way things were. So really what you could say is David's got up to 600 whiny babies that he has now trained. We're going, when we get to Chronicles, the, the, the script does change on how he describes these men, but, but they're in that transition period. And Saul's coming after him with 3,000 of his best. It kind of, you know, we, we say David is a good picture of Jesus the whole time. It kind of makes me think of when Jesus was arrested. You, you, ever, you ever catch the line that talks about how many men came to arrest him? Anywhere from 600 to 1,000, depending on what, what regiment, you know, of the, of the branch they would have been in. You know, the, the word legion and all that stuff come, comes into play and all that. But anyway, 600 to 1,000. I love that scene as a believer. Because I'm thinking, how awesome does Jesus have to be? You know, he is a bad, bad man if they think they need to bring 600 to 1,000 men to arrest just him. And somebody told me, well, he's got 12 disciples. Really, he only had 11, by the way. Y'all must have forgot one was betraying him during this part of it. But people tell me all the time, yeah, but he had 11 other men, so it's not just Jesus. What in them Christians must have been some bad dudes if 12 Christians needed 600 to 1,000 soldiers to arrest him. So that's kind of the picture we get with David here. David and his wannabe group is now being commissioned or chased after by, by awesome, awesome men. And you get to verse 3. So you get to verse 3, and, and here's what 3 says. I love it. I'm going to share a little bit of how us in the upper room interpreted it a couple, couple months back. When Saul came to the sheep pens along the road, a cave was there, and he went in to relieve himself. Now, I just got to pause here for a minute. Y'all know I'm not big on coincidences. I'm big on coincidences. So, so he's been chasing after David for X amount of years. Couldn't, hadn't been able to find him, hadn't been able to track him down in any which way. The closest he got, he didn't even know how close he was, was last week, which would have still been months before where, where we're at today in these, these actual sentences. And he just happens to have to go to the bathroom at the exact cave that David and his men are hiding in. I love the sovereignty of God because I don't think that just happened. I think God said, urge, hit him. You know, he had Taco Bell the night before, the Chalupa got him, and, and that's where he's at. And you laugh, and I just want to point this out. I'm not kidding when I say that's what did it, because, well, men can relate. You women, y'all go to the bathroom together, but y'all don't pee together. Um, I think y'all have, like, some kind of topic discussion thing going on in the bathroom that y'all have to support each other on. Men, just to be blunt, and we're, we're, we're in most adult, you know, uh, uh, environment here, 
Men, when they got to pee, they gather around the tree. They take care of business. It don't matter if there's one of you, if there's 25 of you. Now, we've got some rules. I'm going to get to that in just a second. But we don't mind peeing in front of one another. We just do it. Now, you say, why is he so elaborate on this porta potty break in the cave? Because I want you to picture how serious this moment is. If Saul had to get away from his 3,000 men, he ain't had to pee. Okay? If he climbed up in a cave to get away from his buddies for some private time and he had to take his robe off to do so, he was taking care of some serious business. Okay, y'all, y'all with me? Y'all painting the picture that we're in? Because I want you to understand just how sneaky and how bold David got to be to sneak up on a man while he's doing number two in a cave. And it says that his men stayed far away, so maybe it stunk. I don't know. But anyway, we get this thing. Nature calls it, and David and his men are back in this thing, and Saul is completely vulnerable. I mean, he's going to the bathroom. He's by himself. David is there with his men. He's got this perfect opportunity. In fact, verse 4 says this. David's men encourage him in saying this. God has provided this opportunity for you. This is it. God promised you you'd be able to, to take care of him and, and things would be as they should. This is the opportunity. And all David does is sneak up and cut a corner off the road, which I'm, I'm going to get to just how vital that is, too, in just a second. And, and that's it. He, he doesn't kill him. He doesn't even let his men do so. That's all he does. Now, the corner of this road, this isn't like you and I, where, he, you know, he would have just cut the corner of the road. And you and I might have noticed it, might have didn't because, you know, it's down there hanging. For most Jewish cultures, that piece on that garment would symbolize who they are. I mean, that's their position. That's their status. So when you're talking about a king, what he cut off was his, his chain of command, basically. You know, his stripes, his, his pins that if we were talking about a military officer, what he would have had. So much so that in some Jewish cultures, I'm not sure if it's all of them, but in some of them, when a woman would get a woman and man would get divorced, they would actually cut that piece of her garment off to signify that that divorce, the, the, the symbolism in the picture. Uh, they're in that. So I just want you to see how vital this area is. You know, the, the importance and the symbolism that, that is in this this little piece of a garment. And it's going to come back in a minute on why that's so important. Um, so, so, you know, this is going on. Saul tells or the Bible tells Saul's relieving himself, which means he's doing this. So he most likely took off his robe. He could have had it on. I'm fine with whichever way you believe it. OK, if David snuck in, he's a trained soldier. If he snuck in while he's wearing the robe and cut it off. More power to it. If, it. if Saul took off the robe and hung it, dropped it in the cave somewhere, and he cut it off, you know, he still got really close, took care of what he needed to take care of, and then went back to his men. From a guy who's been trying to kill him for years, guys. Now, I know we've got some problems with people. We've got some people that have hurt us, that have upset us, that, that, that we would like to throat punch, you know, and, and, and other stuff, too. But how many people have actually been trying to kill you for years? <laughs> no, they're just robbing from you, brother. They're not trying to kill you. They're trying to steal from you. And they're doing a good job at it. No, <laughs> no I mean, really. So much so that, that keep in mind now, when, when David goes, remember, David is actually married to Saul's daughter. Talk about awkward, you know, Christmas party. Uh, you know, so when he goes over to the Christmas party and he, he talks to his friends and man, how was it? Ah, not bad. My in-law threw a spear at me. Uh, you know, no big deal. Uh, he's done it a couple of times and he misses every time. 
Uh, you know, so he's literally shooting at him, try, trying to take care, trying to take this guy out. And here's what Romans says about all this that we need to under, it helps us understand this chapter. Romans 12, 17. David has opportunity. Sometimes an opportunity presents itself. You don't respond. Though. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Man, that's hard, isn't it? Is that not a hard? I mean, there's, there's really not a whole lot to even elaborate. The Bible says that point blank exactly what it is. Do not repay evil for evil. Just because someone has done you wrong, it doesn't give you the right to do wrong back to them. Just because somebody mistreated you, it doesn't justify you mistreating them. Why? Because you and I are held to higher standards. Now you're thinking, that don't seem fair, that don't seem right. I agree with you. But when you think about it this way as a believer, that releases the burden and the guilt from me having to worry about how to pay them back because now God's going to get them back. Right? So I don't have to. You know, there's there's a there's a thing in scripture that talks about the eye for the eye and the, and the tooth for the tooth. And and then Jesus comes in and blows that whole thing up. And you wonder, well, what was all that? That was because human nature was not to get even. What is human nature? To get up one. Cliff does me wrong. I don't want to just get even with Cliff. I'm going to one up Cliff. You know what I'm saying? He broke one finger. I'm going to break two of his. When he heals, he's going to come back and break three of mine. Then we're going to go until we get to the toes and other other areas. But you know what I'm saying? We always want to one up one another. So even that original law, that original writing of eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, all that was doing was trying to say, look, man, let the buck stop somewhere. Because if you let human nature take over, that buck will keep on going and going and going and going and going and going. And then Jesus comes in and says, you know what? Matter of fact, why don't it stop with you as the believer? Why don't you just cease to allow it? to continue to roll on down the path that's been rolling down. Then check out this next thing that happens. So our second lesson, five through seven is where we're at now in chapter 24. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Look at verse five. Back to 24. 24, five says this. Afterwards, David's, con- David's conscience bothered him because he cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Notice all the evil that Saul's done, and Saul is never bothered by anything. So you need to ask yourself this morning, am I a Saul or am I a David? If you're a Saul, you're going to keep pursuing revenge, anger, and jealousy, and it's going to get you nowhere except for dead in a couple more chapters. If you're a David, which represents Christ and and represents the believers, this is where you're at. You feel bad for even cutting the hem of a garment off of somebody. Now that goes back to the importance of that section of the garment now, okay? He's not just mad because he messed up his, his coat. He's messed up because he tried to take his title from him and his ownership by that, that piece of the garment that he cut off. But he feels bad about it. It's a good thing if you're a believer and you feel bad when you do such minor things. Right? You start getting away with too much evil and evil doesn't bother you anymore, church. You need to check your relationship with Christ. Because that means you probably ain't got a good relationship with him if it's not bothering you anymore. Okay? Why? Because we're called to act different. Check out this next thing that happens. Verse 7. We talked about it just a minute ago. He tells us, men, not a one of you. I'm not allowing a one of you to do anything to this man while he's here. So now he's not only not doing it himself. He's actually protecting Saul. He's doing what his position had him doing all along. Remember that now. David was what? Saul's greatest warrior is his leader. Everything, every battle he went to turned to gold and went great. And he never let that position change. His other position of encouraging Saul 
and ministering to Saul when Saul was stressed out and, and having issues going on. He never let that change. Here he is still to this day after being after having attempted murder on him multiple times, losing everything to run away and hide. And here he is saying, you guys, my, my job is still to protect that man. So don't a one of you, don't a one of you touch him, because that's what God's called me to do. He's got such a great respect. I want to put it this way. He doesn't necessarily have great respect for Saul as much as he does. He has great respect for the Lord's anointed, because look at how he words this thing. It's not just because it's Saul. It's not just because of who it's his father-in-law or anything like that. He doesn't want to push God's plan along. He says, basically, if God put him into that position, it will be God that removes him from that position. And who am I to be the one to rush that process? Military people say this right here. You don't salute the man, you salute the rank. Now, I like that because you think about that. If you've ever watched military guys, you know, when they, they pass each other and they see that higher rank and they have to stop and salute. Not a one of them pause and say, well, let me check out this guy's character. You know, let me let me tell you about this guy before you decide if you should salute him. Or not. Let's check him out on Facebook. Let, let, let's let's look over Twitter and uh, and find out what they've been saying about him. And, and, and let's check out all this other stuff and, and find out if he's worth me saluting. There's none of that. It's an instant thing. They see the marks on that chest. They pause. They salute. Why? Because we respect the position, not the person. No need to understand. We don't like it, but is God not the one who put Saul in this position? Is it not God that allowed him to rise to become king? All based off of height originally, right? No, no doubt. David thinks Saul's a terrible king, but he also acknowledges the fact that he's still God's anointed one. And he's not going to be the one to change it. So ask yourself this in this little section right here. Will we tear apart the person or will we respect the position? Because that's what you got to answer as a believer. Will I tear apart a person or will I respect their position? And that will determine a little bit deeper on how you're walking with Christ. Uh, go back to Romans 12, 17. Not only should we be careful to do what is right in the eyes of, of others. Romans 12, 17 says it word for word. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Everybody. When you're tempted to return evil, here's what you guys got to stop and do. Now, this, this gets easier if you've got people who are closer to you because you'll get convicted faster. But the last section or the last question really sums it up. You're tempted to do evil. You're tempted to get somebody back. Here's what you pause and ask yourself. What's it going to do to my Christian testimony? What's my wife going to think about what I go over there and do? What's my children going to think about what I go over there? What's my church going to think about? What's my friends going to think about? And most importantly, what's God think about what I want to go over there and do? And if we would pause and think that, sometimes I think we'd make some better decisions, you know, along the way. When we get to this next scene, David does all that, doesn't repay evil. He's careful to make sure everybody he's doing right now is everybody feels convicted for even the one little little slip up he does. In this next scene, now we got David actually seeking to reconcile with Saul. Now, I don't know about you, but I read a story like this as long as we've been reading it, and I'm thinking Saul should be the one trying to reconcile with David. But see, that's the problem sometimes with us as believers. We want to sit on our high horse and say, you know what? No, that person needs to come apologize to me, right, and make things right with me before we ever do anything to re- Church, if they were the evil one, what makes you think they're going to be the one to do good? I mean, right? Doesn't that, make, doesn't that make sense? They've been doing evil all along. They're not going to change. They're evil. They're bad. We call them the bad guy. They're the bad guy. Look at 8 through 11 real quick. I like this section because here's what Romans is going to put it this way for this section. Live at peace with everyone as far as it's possible. David does one of his longest unbroken speeches right here. And, and even it's not really long, but it's the longest for David. Here's what he says. 
He goes out to the king. So I want you to picture this. Saul is now left. He's back with his men just outside the cave, finished his business, rolling out, you know, back to his men. David and his men would have been perfectly safe just to stay at the back of that cave. I mean, they would have never come and check that cave again. Nobody checks the porta potty for the bad guy or the good guy hiding it, okay? So they would have never check that cave again. But here comes David walking out the cave while Saul's over there holding that robe, by the way. And, and here's some of the things he says. Look at, look at 8 through 11, man. He says, my Lord, the king. Scripture tells us that he bowed his face down to the ground. Now, that's humility and that's respect. It takes a bold, radical type believer to have that kind of humility and respect for somebody who's done you so wrong. But aren't we called to be radical? Aren't we called to be a little different? Isn't one of the words we use all the time, holy? Doesn't it actually mean set apart? Well, if we're not doing anything any different, are we really set apart? Right? Hey, look at what else he says. So David tells him, he shows him uh, his respect, his humility for who he is. Then David tells him how he refused to, to hurt him himself. Man, I had you right there. You were so close. Here's the garment to your robe. I could have took care of you right there if I wanted to. He goes even further and says, you know what? Even though I didn't, I could have allowed my men to, but I didn't. I told even them they weren't allowed to. He goes even further and calls him father. Father. Now, what's he reminded of? He's his son-in-law. He's reminded, man, you and I are connected you know, through marriage. You and, you and I, are, we're on the same team. I don't know what this, this big problem is with us. You and you, your son and I are best friends. He's reminding him of all this stuff by staying humble, staying respectful, and he's passionate. And what I love is he's speaking truth about the situation. David doesn't cut any corners. Well, they're in the corner of a rope. He doesn't cut any corners in, in how he approaches and what he speaks to Saul. He could have went out there with a bad attitude. He could have went out there and, and you know, told him all this. But this is huge, guys. This is huge because the truth must be spoken about what both parties did if there's ever going to be reconciliation. David, David speaks truth about what he's done. He even speaks truth about what Saul has done. Now, he's not being hateful. He's not being mean. He's just calling it what it is. And if we're ever going to reach reconciliation with anybody, we've got to be truthful. And don't cover it up. Don't hide it. If he was a cheater, he was a cheater. If she was, well, we won't go there because there's other words. You know, you know what I'm saying? Call it what it is. And, and that's what David does. He says, look, man, this is what you did wrong. This is what I've done. This is the truth. And if, if reconciliation is ever going to happen, it's important that we speak truth into the situation. Don't shy away from it. Sometimes I think we think we got to sugarcoat things. To, to, if you sugarcoated your reconciliation, how good is your reconciliation going to be? Sometimes you just need a good knockdown, drag out argument in a good, healthy way. And that'll get the reconciliation process started. But when we try not to do that, we just prolong the inevitable. And then the balloon pops and we wonder why we snapped and broke somebody's neck. Uh, so here we go. Here's what 18 says. Back to Romans 12. David does everything he can. Notice what Romans 18, or 12, 18 says. If it is possible. There's some qualifications in this section, right? Now, if, if scripture says, you can't always read the way scripture says that. If scripture says, if it is possible, what must that mean? Sometimes it ain't possible. Everybody's light just went off. They're like, hold on. No, not because you say it ain't possible, okay? You don't get to go that route with it. All I'm saying is what the Bible says. The Bible says, if it's possible, that means it's not always possible. A Saul doesn't always want to be reconciled with a David. 
Some of them just like living in misery. Some of them just like being evil and being bad at who they are. Okay, so so here it is. Don't be dumb enough to keep hurting yourself. Scripture saying, if it's possible, work it out. If it ain't possible, stay the heck away from it. Nobody's telling you to keep hurting yourself day after day after day after day. You do everything. Here's number two. Do everything you can do. Look at what the verse says. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, you can't be responsible for the other person's reaction and action, can you? You can't. You're responsible for yourself, and that is it. We tell, we tell our kids the exact same thing sometimes when they want to come up with the excuse, you know, so-and-so did so-and-so. And I don't care what so-and-so did. I care what you did. I'm responsible for you. You are responsible for you. As far as it depends on you, do everything you can to reconcile. Then that last part right there, that third, third qualification. Live at peace with everyone. Now, everyone is a really big word. We normally look at smaller words when we're looking at scripture, right? Everyone's what? How many letters is that? Like eight? That's a big word, man. Look at it. What, where's it at? Everyone. So, so that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, man. I did that on my own. Eight, eight letters. Eight letters. That's a long word. Everybody understand everyone? What's everyone mean? Everybody. Everybody means everybody. Now, it's not telling you to be, but we're going to get to that in just a second. It's telling you to live at peace, but you don't get to exclude who you live at peace with. Now, sometimes you got to live at peace by keeping a distance. And sometimes you can live at peace by being close. Right. That goes to if it's possible and, and, and it depends on you. You got to know where you're at. All right. Let's finish saying because I want to want to get to something David does here that I think ties in with that. You don't take revenge yourself. You leave it in God's hand. Look at 12 through 15. David's attitude in this thing and what he says in verse 12, may the Lord judge between you and me and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand won't touch you. That burden, that weight of wondering what I'm going to do and how I'm going to handle it, it's it's released from David because he flat out says, look, I'm not going to be the one to touch you. I don't have to worry about it because I know I can trust the sovereignty of God and he's going to take care of what he needs to take care of. And we've seen him many times. Saul gets chances. And everybody knows the end of Saul. So God does take care of you, um, you know, here really soon, actually. And, and that ties in with Romans twelve nineteen. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, you are nothing but a mere person, right? Your revenge can only be so good. God who's responsible for eternity and sees every part of the situation. That's another good thing about God, by the way. He, he knows the background of every situation. So in all honesty, whether we like it or not, he can be more just than we can because we only know part of it. So in all honesty, just calling it what it is, we can't be as just as God can be. God can be completely just in what he's doing. He, and, and we want to take judge and jury, which we're not either. God is both. You know, so he's got the background information and he judged wisely and perfectly in his wisdom. And then verse 15, he says this, therefore, let the Lord be judged. And judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. Now, if you're like me, man, you've questioned why David has gone through all he's gone through. And some of you yourselves may question, why am I going through everything I've gone through? Especially if you claim to be a believer, right? Like, man, I thought like getting on this side was supposed to be the good stuff and it was supposed to be more rewarding. It's supposed to be this, supposed to be that. God did deliver David. 
He, he gets delivered from all Saul's harassments. He's always protected. But he only is going to fully deliver David after he's done using Saul to develop David for the future. So believer, look at me. Sometimes God is using your enemy to develop you for your future position. We don't like that. You don't have to like that. But the, but the big idea is this. David didn't become the great king of Israel in spite of King Saul. He became a great, wise, capable king because of King Saul. All these trials, all this tribulation, all this battle with authority allowed him to become the king that he was. And, and don't miss this. The more authority God plans to give you, the more deeply he's going to have to train you into submission and authority. So if you, amen, that's right. So if you want a big position, if you expect great opportunity, then guess what has to follow? Great submission, and you have to be under great authority at some point in time. Because you can't be without it. No one can function properly in authority who's not yet learned submission under authority. There's a process. There's a process. And David knew this. David knew what it was like to be under an unreasonable boss, a jerk. So when he gets to be boss, he changes the way he handles things. All right, maybe that's the whole point of what God's got you going in. Look at this last scene. Things change, but unfortunately not for long, by the way. I want you to add some stuff to this one. Saul confesses his wrong, 16 through 17. Now, we get, I got I got excited, at least. I don't know if you guys did. I got excited when Saul finally, you know, I'm thinking David walks out, man, it's about to be sniper shot. You know, he's about to be taken out while he's holding the garment because Saul hates him so bad. But when he walks out and he says this stuff and he's holding that garment, Saul's heart finally breaks just a little bit. Look at 16 and 17 women. Chapter, back in chapter 24. When David finished saying these things to him, Saul replied, is that your voice, David, my son? Notice now, this is the first time he's finally called him by his name and actually calling him son and I don't know how long. He had been calling him son of Jesse. Hated him so much, wouldn't even say his name. So, but I like how, how Danny added a little bit there on, uh, you play dumb when you're the guilty one. You know, I wonder, I wonder how much of it was playing dumb and how much of it was like, holy cow, David was behind me the entire time I was taking a dump in the cave. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I was completely vulnerable right there. He could have done whatever he wanted to. And then those soldiers maybe walked up behind David at the same time. And he's like, man, that would have been 601 versus one. Like I was definitely able to have been taken out. And I think that's what, what broke his heart. Read 17. And he said to David, you are more righteous than I. This doesn't even sound like Saul. For you have done what is good to me, though I have done what is evil to you. Saul is for the first time finally, finally owning the moment. His heart is finally being softened. And I don't want to spoil it for you because it sounds like such a great ending. Saul's going to screw up again. All right, he confesses. David's done good. He's done evil. And then he even thinks about it. He says, man, you are so much more righteous than me. If I had the opportunity to kill you, I would have did it. But you had the opportunity and you chose not to. It's almost like you're living out Romans 12, 20, which says this. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, Give him something to drink. Now, Paul's quoting Proverbs chapter 26 here. But but here's the big lesson. It's one thing. And I think the first lesson for us is hard. It's one thing to, to read it and know, don't repay evil for evil. That's hard enough. But the second section here, then, is this other big lesson. Is, is God going beyond that? And he's saying, not only are you not to return evil for evil, I want you to return good for evil. Wow. Yeah, that 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 changes things, right? It's one thing not to just punch the guy back when he punches you. It's another thing when you got to go get him ice for his hand to hurt from punch, right? Thank you, about it. If you got a hard head like me, the hand head would hurt, right? 
So, so you've got that going on. God wants us to return good for evil instead. But why? Because God will use our actions to accomplish his stuff. And that's where we're at with Saul. He's finally able to penetrate Saul's heart just a little bit, just a little bit. And I wonder sometimes if God's not saying this. Now, I don't know about you. Any of y'all, ever, let's let, let's be honest. All right. Take your church face off. Any of y'all ever actually put some time and thought on to getting back with somebody? I mean, only five of y'all? Really? Man, I've had some good thinking going on. OK, you know, like booby traps I could set up, ways I could get them in trouble with their job, ways I get them. In, I'm just going to confess. All right, y'all can fire me all you want. I'm just being honest. You got you got a, a, a an honest person before you telling you I've had some good thinking going on about what I can do. I've thought about getting payback on people who hadn't even done what I think they're gonna do yet. Now that's some evil thinking going on. You know, I'm just being honest with you. I've got a little girl now, right? And I'm gonna tell you now. I've had thoughts about what I will do when boyfriend comes along and hurts little girl, and they've been some good dreams. You know what I'm saying? Some of you daddies may relate with me. And if I'm an old man by then, I've even had the thought, I got two boys, scrapping young men, that they can take care of business if I'm too old to take care of business. I played this out. So I wonder when God says what he says in Romans and ties all this together, if maybe God is saying this, if you're willing to take so much of your time and your energy and your effort to try to think about how to get back on somebody, get evil for evil. What would happen if you would take all that time and energy and try to be paying good for evil? Well, hold on now. All y'all was with me just for a minute. Y'all all just left me. Why? I left, too. I left, too. You know, what, what do you mean you want me to spend all that time and energy focusing on how I can do good to them when they've done evil to, to me? That cha- that's an option. You've got this. Good, good point. You've got three choices when evil's done to you. Three choices. You can return evil for evil. Bible says no. You can do nothing. Bible says that's better than option one, but not exactly what I'm looking for. Or, so you're in the middle. Hey, C's get degrees, baby. Uh, yeah. So R3. R3. You can do good for evil. Which is what the Bible calls us and commands us to be able to do. Now, I think in our, in our walk with Christ, we, we walk that out. I think when we when we first be, start some kingdom living, we, we we start reducing how much evil we do for evil. But we do, and I think that's good. There's a process, man. Ain't nobody expecting you to change overnight. All right? Some things can, but some things don't. And then there's that, that moment where you just, I'm just not going to do nothing. I don't like it. I've got some ideas in my head on what I can do about it, but I'm not going to. I'm going to choose not to execute the ideas. Even though Jesus said, if you think it, you done did it. But I'm going to choose to say there's that there's that line right there where I shouldn't cross. OK, and then you finally get to that walk. And when you get to this walk, guys, this is when I think your testimony just explodes in your kingdom living. When you can say, I hate the jerk. I hate let me say that. I love the jerk, but I hate what the jerk did. And I'm going to choose to do what Christ came to earth to do and start some kingdom living and, and bring light to darkness. You know, one, one of my favorite quotes from Martin Luther King, that, you know, and, and it's something that the world really needs to see. Right now, more than ever, especially and I'm talking about the whole world. I didn't. Crystal watches these very boring uh, podcast things. Some of you other people might be listen to them. She doesn't watch them. She listens to them. I'm telling I'm wrong in how I said it. OK, some of you are boring enough to listen to boring podcasts like my wife. And in doing so, sometimes I have to listen to them as well because I'm a good husband. And what matters to her, I want to matter to me. 
Beth, you're already in her category. Don't make it any worse. But yesterday, I'll can't decide. Yesterday, I didn't even notice what was going on. So I don't stay up to date with certain things because some of them drive me nuts. Evidently, there's a, there's this there's big, big uh, uh, riots and stuff going on in Hong Kong because evidently China will own them in 2026 or something. Anyway, long story short, so they're getting more violence. And one of the guys says, all we're doing is promoting more violence right now. Now, I'm not saying what they're fighting for is wrong. Right? I'm not even getting in on that because I'm American and I don't have to worry about it. But, but what Martin Luther King Jr. said however many years ago, we can't repay evil with evil is, is based off of this Romans verse. He says that more hate and more darkness will not drive out more hate and more darkness. Love will. Light will. It's one of the things I love about how we end the year Tuesday night with the, with that, that candlelight service. Because there's moments where everything is really dark, which, which symbolic is like the world we live in. But when we leave, we tow the light out of here. And we send the light then into the world because you and I as believers are supposed to be bringing the light forth. And light was put in, you know, Jesus' conception was probably during the festival of lights, by the way. So that's some, some pretty cool stuff that, that symbolically that, that's really going on. So, so light is coming to, to drive out darkness. And you and I are supposed to be the barriers of that light to continue to drive out more darkness in the world we're in. And when you and I become part of darkness, we've totally missed what Christ has called us to do. So why can't we spend more time thinking about ways we can be nice to people, ways we can reach out to people? Some are thinking, well, that's just too radical. Yeah, the life of Christ or life of a Christian should be radical. Last section right here. Second to last. And if, if, I think this one's in the connection. I don't have one with me. Does it say uh, this will lead to conviction and repentance? Under that last section? Can't even remember what I sent, Mom. That's bad, ain't it? None of y'all are even using a bulletin. You sinners. You should come to the altar and repent. What's the last line both say? Doesn't say anything. Just says conviction. All right. That's because I knew Saul wasn't really going to repent. All right. <laughs> he doesn't. All right. So, so I put this will lead. Maybe we should do a little uh, slash and put can. Because to be honest, it can lead to somebody's conviction. Conviction, yes. And if I had sent repentance, luckily I got God's word before sending it. I would have told you to put maybe by repentance. The reason I say this, Saul doesn't repent because Saul doesn't change. It's one thing to feel convicted. It's one thing to, to whine. Look at, look at what scripture even says he does. What are we at? 18? No, we already read 18. Uh, how about 19? 19, when a man finds his enemy. Oh, no, we already read that too. 20. Now I know for certain you will be king and the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. Therefore, swear to me. Swear to me. That you're not going to allow any of my descendants to be wiped out in my name, my family name to be carried away. David feels, I mean, Saul feels convicted because he's afraid of the punishment. Don't, don't misconstrue what's actually going on. It's one thing, he got caught. You get caught with your hand in the cookie jar, of course you get convicted. Now, understand this, everybody. If there's no change, then conviction didn't do anything. All right? Because here's what I want you to catch, 19 and 20. He says, may the Lord reward you. I know that you'll surely be king. He's even talking good. I wonder if some of that talk is maybe, hey, come on back home so we can kill you on home turf. Right? Romans 12, 20 adds to it and puts this. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Heap burning coals on his head. Well, well, that's the shame from the experience of doing something wrong, right? You know, this, this phrase would also carry a little bit more weight if we lived in this culture because in order to start fires when a fire went out, sometimes you'd have to go ask a neighbor for some of their hot coals. 
So you can picture going to that neighbor, getting some of his hot coals so that you can come back and start your own fire, and you'd have to tote that through town for everybody to see you toting it. And everybody would know, oh, he had to lower himself and go go ask for those hot coals. So you, you they would see you burning those, those, those coals as you towed them across. And they would know that your neighbor then did what he was supposed to do, whether he had to or not. All right. Saul then asked David to swear, swear that you're not going to cut my descendants off from this. This would be something kings would do. We talked about this at the beginning of, of Joshua and, and all throughout Samuel. Kings would kill all the family members from the previous family. No competition, right? Nobody wants to take your throne. Now, this is this is a promise David's already made with Jonathan. And now he's making this oath with Saul. I'm not going to do anything evil to you guys. You're okay. God's going to make sure you're both eliminated. But he didn't say it that way, luckily. Right? Romans 12, 20. Don't, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Here's what I want you to catch and understand, guys. Where is David, Where is Saul at at the end of this chapter? This is important. Where? Back, back to his kingdom. All right? He went back to the palace, back to his place. Where's David at the end of this? Back in the cave. Back in the cave. I say this because I want you to notice this now. Make sure you understand. David doesn't go home with Saul. If you take notes, write this down. Don't be stupid, stupid. I'm just calling it like scripture calls it, right? Just because you choose to treat somebody with respect and peace. And even have forgiveness. It doesn't mean you have to trust them again. If you put yourself back in the same situation, don't be surprised if you get the same results. Okay? Nothing I've said today in God's word tells you to be dumb and put yourself back with the man that wanted to kill you. Okay? Or was taking advantage of you or whatever that the man was doing to you. Okay? Nothing. David goes back to his cave, rightly so, because Saul's really going to get crazy here in the next couple of chapters, and God's going to take care of him. And Saul goes back to his place. Nowhere in there does it say, and David was commanded to go sit by Saul and let Saul slit his throat so that this all ended. No, it's not there. Okay? Sometimes I think we read certain sections of Scripture and, and like we just ad-lib the rest of it. Let's look at all the details. At the end of this story, Saul's back at the palace. David and has all his men, by the way, are back at the cave. They're not together. This is not a, they held hands and sang kumbaya. This is a David did what he was supposed to do and responded the right way and kept himself safe. And Saul felt bad, cried a little bit, it said, and he's going to go back to his evil ways. Okay? So, so I just point that out. Sometimes I think, I don't know, sometimes I think we let the world make us look like a joke as believers by the way we, we do stuff sometimes, all right? David's wise not to trust him. Here, now, here's a wrap-up. We'll get, in, get into the 25 next week. All right, this chapter this morning illustrates biblical principle of this. We leave payback in God's hands. Some of y'all right now are burdened because you've been wanting to pay somebody back, and you've been hating somebody, letting jealousy get you. You've become, you've become a salt. And maybe that's probably one of the questions we should ask as we, we look at the end of these two guys. Have you become a salt so much that you're letting hanger, anger Hangry. Hangry's coming for some of you, right? Anger and jealousy drive you crazy? Or are you going to be like a David and just understand, I'm not going to take matters in my own hands because God is responsible for me. God promises that, guys. He promises that. In his word, he says, I'm responsible for you if you're mine. Now, don't go around telling unbelievers God's responsible for you. No, he's not if you're not his. 
My daddy is responsible for me. Actually, he kicked me out when I got married and told me I'm responsible for myself now. But, no, I can still cry back to dad, right? Paxton knows. I'm responsible for him. Caleb, I ain't responsible for you. I'll beat you still, but I'm not responsible for you. No. But th- think about the difference, guys. We need to understand that as believers. Abba is responsible for his children. If he's responsible for me, I can have that, that confidence of David. Daddy will take care of daddy business, right? So that helps him. What, what about Jesus? Since we, since we talked about this, this parallel the whole time, when did Jesus die for us, Romans says? When we were sinners. We were against God. You talk about repaying good for evil, right? We were his enemy and he died for us. The Bible says that God's kindness leads to our repentance. Romans uh, 2, 4, right? Jesus overcame evil by what? Hanging on a cross. Colossians 2.15 says that love defeated the enemies of darkness. Love defeated the enemies of darkness. Jesus followed all this exact same stuff. Some of, some of us think sometimes that revenge is this, this sweet pill. I'll be honest with you. It's a bitter pill. It makes you miserable. Everybody I know who's wanting to get revenge or has gotten revenge, they're, they're just, there might have been that one moment of excitement, but other than that, they're just bitter. They're, they're grief-stricken. They're upset. They got hurt upon hurt upon hurt. And until they choose to let it go, that's the way they're going to keep living. Let's open our eyes and see what's before us rather than what we're wanting the the enemy to to, to distract us with. If someone has wronged you, I don't think they've tried killing you. And if David was able to do this with a guy who's trying to kill him, I think we can do it with some of the wrongs that we've exhibited. And maybe the answer is you staying in your cave and they go back to their palace. I'm not telling you to sing Kumbaya with everybody. I'm telling you, if it's scripture, telling you, I ain't telling you nothing. Scripture telling you, if it's possible and it depends on you, then you do it. If it's not, then you just live at peace. And maybe peace is in a cave away from the palace. Church, none of this stuff I'm saying is easy and none of it's even possible unless we let the Holy Spirit lead us. Okay? If it was possible to do on our own, we wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. The problem sometimes is that we try to do it on our own and we forget about the Holy Spirit. And we forget about that ability we have as believers to call upon God and say, God, I give you complete reign and complete control over how I handle every part of this situation. And when we do, guys, when we do, I've asked the team to sing this song that they, that they just sing again, because these are some of the most powerful words we can say. When we do, God's going to give us his expectations. And you and I will then have to answer with either. Yes, I will. Or no, I won't. OK, there's no in between. There's no in-between. You either do or you don't do. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much for this morning. God, I love how you even tied the the skit unknowingly, Lord God, into your message today. And God, I pray right now, Lord God, that every believer in this room, Lord God, will heed your spirit. God, that we will listen to your word. And God, we'll be okay with having to change some things that, that we may not even want to change, Lord God, but we need to. Lord, I pray that you open our eyes to relationships that, that need to be handled differently, Lord God. God, I, I pray that you open our eyes to see that anger and jealousy only leads to destruction. God, I pray that we open our eyes to see like David, that we can trust in you, Lord God. And when we trust in you, Lord God, that makes it so much more peaceful for ourselves. Lord, we love you. We thank you in your great name we pray. Amen.